Hey everyone, this is Jeffrey Wu, your host of the Human Enhancement Podcast. And I'm really excited to invite back a recurring guest co-host slash expert in a lot of things, Dr. Brianna Stubbs, our research lead at Human. It's great to be back on the podcast. It's been a little while since I was last on, so it's uh, always always good to chat to you, Jeff. Yeah, and especially chatting uh, kind of as an open letter to the world. Um, but I think it's been fun. I mean, over the last few months since we last had you on, one of our most quickly growing products has been Kato 3, our supercharged omega-3 product. And I think there's just been a lot of open questions and just discussion around omega-3s, fatty acids, um, some new clinical research being published in terms of meta-analysis on how these things affect certain types of outcomes. And we thought it would be a good topic to demystify the whole world of omega-3s. Gonna do our best. Yeah, so let's dive into it. I mean, I think it makes sense to start from very, very high level um, and just ask the basics. Like, what is omega-3? What is a fatty acid? Um, what, does, what do those terms even mean? Can we start from that level? So, I mean, let's start off. Um, most fat in the diet comes in the form of triglyceride. And so that means that you've got three fatty acids bound to glycerol as a backbone. Yeah. And so when those are inside the body, your uh, enzymes break off the fatty acid chains and you get glycerol and three fatty acids and the fatty acids can be used for energy metabolism. Right. And that's why it's called triglyceride. Glyceride, right? yeah. There's three fatty acids, one glycerol. That's a triglyceride, like a stable unit of fat. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids are a little different. Well, I think they either come in triglyceride form or phospholipid form. Exactly. So, uh, so I mean, I think, but I think what is interesting of, of, of a, of a, of a omega-3 or omega-6 is that they're unsaturated fatty acid chains, meaning there's, you know, some double bonds in there. Yes. Um, and I think the interesting thing with omega-3 versus omega-6, there's also things like that are omega-9, or just where that unsaturated double bond of carbon is on that fatty acid. So for omega-3, um, that means that there's the, the, like the last chain of like, you know, 20 carbons or 22 carbons. There's, a th there's three empty um, or saturated bonds before the first unsaturated bond. For omega-6, there's six uh, uh, fully saturated carbons before an unsaturated bond. And that's the distinction. Exactly. Right. And then I think, yeah, can you explain like what a phospholipid, what that form is compared to like a triglyceride? So phospholipid means that the fat, the lipid part of it is bound to something that has a phosphate in it. And the reason why people are interested in omega-3s and omega-6s in terms of being a phospholipid is that our cell membranes are like almost completely or very, very high phospholipid content. And so the phosphate bit goes on the outside of the cell membrane and the lipid bit goes on the inside of the cell membrane. So when you eat omega-3s and they're in phospholipid form, it's a very important like structural part of all of the cells in our bodies. Yeah. Um, and suppose it, here at Human, we're particularly interested in maintaining brain health, and right. so looking at phospholipids inside the brain. Right. Yeah. And, and I think we can get into why DHA is especially interesting there as a form of an omega-3 for the brain. But I think it is worth noting that, you know, typically in a cell membrane, I think if you just remember from our high school bio classes, there's like kind of like two tails 
and they're like one side is hydrophilic, one try one side is yeah. hydrophobic. If you think of a tadpole, it's yeah. like the head of the tadpole goes on the outside, and the tail of the tadpole goes on the inside, and either so it's called a phospholipid bilayer. Right. So there's two bits of phospholipid with the lipid tails pointing inwards, and the phosphate heads on the outside. Right. And so there's with cells, there's kind of other things that sit in this phospholipid bimembrane, but bilayer. But what it's like a C. So the receptors and like glucose transporters and all of these things are slotted in and slotted out, um, right. and it's how the cell like communicates with the outside yeah. and it's kind of uh, it's like um like flexible uh, it's what gives the cells a mobility ability to kind of change shape and yeah. change um function right in order to work with the environment and, I, and again i think the fatty acid part as opposed to the phosphate phosphate and choline groups on it are like are the tails yeah. the inside of it yes and omega-3s are an important part of that of, of cell membranes. What's really cool about um, omega-3s and uh, other, like, omega... I think omega-6s as well have this property is that they can be, like, um, broken up by the body to form signaling molecules as well, so, like, prostaglandins, for example. So not only are they structural components of our cells, but they're also really important um, signals that regulate inflammation yep. um, and other sort of interesting bioactive properties that these, like, downstream metabolites uh, yeah. of omega-3 fatty acids yeah. have. I mean, let's dive into that. But before that, I want to talk about, and we use a couple terms, saturated, unsaturated fats. Um, and what does that refer to? I mean, I, I can just jump in and say that, you know, usually for saturation of fat, it basically means other single bonds between carbons yes, or double bonds between carbons. So if it is... Uh unsaturated so if you have the double bond then there's kind of the potential for other things to jump in there and right. react so um, unsaturated fats are kind of more uh, reactive let's just say than right. saturated fats so saturated fats they tend to be like solid at room temperature right. um, and they don't tend to go rancid as whereas unsaturated fats with these double bonds they tend to be more like in a liquid form and then also they can react off with other things and that can cause them to go bad right but I think also at a high level unsaturated fats are usually associated with healthy oils or healthy fats and saturated fats are typically associated with uh, unhealthy fats but I think that's a very that's a different know, coarse question. way to, to discuss it but I think that's why if you look at the nutrition label there's like total fat content there's polyunsaturated fats monounsaturated fats and saturated fats and that's what it's describing it's describing the number of carbon double bonds in a fatty acid chain. Yeah. So, I mean, just to clarify what you were just saying there, like a monounsaturated fat would be there. There's one yeah. double bond. A polyunsaturated uh, fat would be that there's multiple right. um, double bonds. And right. so um, omega-3s are polyunsaturated right. fats. And I think it's also worth talking about like medium chain triglycerides, like MCT oil is a very popular topic in terms of um, you know, something to supplement for a ketogenic diet. You might have heard of a bulletproof coffee or a fat coffee. A lot of people use, you know, MCT oils. So how does that fit in to fatty acid land, right? You, you know, okay. you want to, you, you know, break down like kind of the other kind of fat compounds out there. That we're kind of interested yeah. in, yeah. So, I mean, let's go back to the name, medium chain triglycerides. So right. firstly off, it's a triglyceride. So as we were saying at the start, you've got glycerol and three fatty acids bound to it. And so now we'll get onto the medium chain bit so thinking about how many carbons are in the fatty acid chain so fatty acids like carbon stuck together in a carbon double bond 
O double bond OH, like a fatty acid group in on the end of that chain. So medium chain generally refers to anything that's got about um, eight to ten carbons. I think there's specifically six to twelve. Six to twelve. Six sorry, to 12. I was near, I was in the middle. I was in yeah. the middle. Um, and so what's kind of interesting and unique about those is that when you eat those, they don't get transported in quite the same way as like longer chain fats. They go in the portal circulation to the liver rather than going into the lymphatic system. So normally fat um, empties into the lymphatic system it's a very interesting if you've ever seen a video demo if someone eats a very very fatty meal you can take a blood sample spin it down and you can see like the fat kind mm. of like appear in the blood directly and that's because when we eat like longer chain fats that doesn't go it's not really processed by the liver it goes into the lymph and it empties out into the blood before it's processed but medium chain fats are different because they go in the portal circulation straight to the liver and that is why these fats are kind of considered to be ketogenic because they're um, going to the liver and also short so the liver can quite rapidly cleave them down into the two carbon uh four carbon sorry ketone yeah. units and that's why c8 the eight chain mct uh caprylic acid is a very popular one because it's four two lots of four two lots of four and so it's one of the most efficient forms of fat that converts into ketones yeah so i think this is a kind of uh, an interesting point to say that you know even in this like first five minutes here we've talked about lots of different types of fats yeah. and so i think it's worth flagging up that people shouldn't just like put all fat in like one bucket there's certainly some like subtleties um involved in like what fats are doing different things to your body yeah. let's just say like fat isn't like one big entity. yeah and i think that is the same way you look at other macronutrient groups right if we talk about fats as one macro protein as one macro and carbohydrates as a third macro like it's not you know you know, uh, uh, glucose is very, very different from like a polysaccharide in like a versus potato. Versus fructose versus, right? yeah, exactly. So there's similar kind of nuances with fat and the categories of fat. Exactly. But before going into just a fat discussion, let's dial down into, you know, omega-3 specifically. Um, and while we're talking about, you know, medium chain of, you know, six and 12 carbons, um, you know, how, you know, I think the natural question is like, you know, how long are you know, omega-3 fatty acids? And 20, before, 22? And 22 for DHA, yeah. 20 for EPA, yeah. and, the, and the lesser known one, alpha-linoic acid, Linoic. which is separate from alpha-lipoic acid, which is interesting from an uh, antioxidant perspective. But alpha-linoic acid is also an omega-3 fatty acid, usually found in plants. Uh, that has 18 carbons. And I think uh, for the organic chemistry nerds uh, or, or wannabe nerds because if you're already nerd you probably already know this ala has three double bonds epa has five double bonds and dha is has six double bonds so these are fairly long fatty acid chains yes yeah um so i think before talking about each specific type of fatty acid i think it's worth talking about omega-6s and omega-3 so we talked about omega-6s um I think the interesting thing to note there is that um, most studies of Paleolithic humans, uh, the diet typically cons uh, was consisted of around a one-to-one -one ratio of omega-3 fats and omega-6 fats. Yeah. If you look at the data today, um, 
we're eating a lot more omega-6s. A lot like, more like red meat. That's yeah. where very rich in omega-6. Well, I think the distinction there is like because the red meat that we eat today is often fed by grains. Yes. And a lot of plant oils are higher in omega-6s. Is that why people like eating grass-fed beef? Yes, because the data there is of grass-fed beef has higher omega-3 content. Exactly. Mm. So that that's where it's interesting for like the existing farming practices have shifted our omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. So... I was just actually looking at the numbers earlier uh, this afternoon in preparation for this this conversation, and uh, you know, the Japanese population that often eats a high amount of fish has four to one ratio of omega six to omega three. In American population, standard Western diet are up to fifteen to twenty x. Wow. Omega six to omega three. So. So that's where supplementation kind of comes in to try and rebalance that ratio back towards the one to one. Right. Exactly. So I think one could try to do this by diet of eating a lot more seafood, a lot more naturally whole foods that have a higher omega-3. Um, and I think back to one of the topics around like rancidity, ran, make, becoming rancid, um, omega-3s are just more prone to being oxidized in omega-6s. So yes. that's why a lot of processed foods have a lot more omega-6s. So I think this is an interesting shift in industrialization of food shifting our omega-3 to omega-6 balance from, yeah. you know, closer to one-to-one to, one to omega-6. And making it harder and harder for the consumer to really work out what they're getting in their diet if there's that much difference between, like, a pound of grass-fed beef and a pound of, you know, regular processed right. beef. You're going to not... It's going to be difficult to know what you're getting. Right. And then also, you know, the just, as you said, shift towards more processed foods. It's It gets more and more difficult for people to work out what they're getting and also then to up their, say, omega-3 right. ratio to to be more like in fitting with what it used to be. Yeah, and I think this ties in nicely with the discussion around the phospholipid bilayer, because if you have a ton more omega sixes as an available substrate to make your cell membrane, then like it, uh, your, your the ratio of omega sixes in your phospholipid, you know, your cell membranes is going to change, right? Like that has interesting implications to like the different signaling or receptors that are exist on the, on the cell. Yeah, of course. I mean, I I, am, I can't imagine that we understand all of this like fully, fully, but right. it's and um, it's certainly something that's kind of going to be interesting to watch it unfold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Well, I think I think that's like I think that I think helps set a really big context of why omega threes have been studied so much. Mm. It's I think from a macro layer, it's like okay, there's clearly a big shift in terms of the ratios. Um, omega threes have uh, some you know early data around a ton of different interesting biomarkers, anti-inflammatory stuff. I think it's you know what are those and what is it overhyped for? What is it underhyped for? Yeah. Can we start breaking down some of the indications well, for omega-3s? I think one thing that's really interesting is that um, it's kind of hard when you're trying to cut through the literature and look at when people have measured just like, okay, what is the level uh, ratio in people's like blood or tissue samples, like looking for correlation versus the data that you get when you actually do supplementation. So, I mean, as you said, like a lot of early interesting kind of correlational data around a lot of therapeutic... Um, implications for an off omega-3 omega-6 ratio that aren't always rectified with supplementation or aren't always like recapitulated when you add in supplementation so it's kind of um i suppose when we think about the evidence or when people are out reading the evidence look to see whether it's like a correlational kind of study or whether it's a interventional kind of like study. a randomized controlled trial yes and study. i mean there's nothing necessary i mean there's definitely still um value to the results that are correlational because being deficient in something 
and knowing that that has a, a relationship to a certain clinical disease, that's useful and important and Absolutely. it's not necessarily incorrect. But I think this is where maybe the headlines kind of get confusing because people might be like, oh, omega-3 deficiency associated with higher cardiovascular risk. And then on the other hand, as we might discuss in a minute, like a recent meta-analysis comes out and says, oh, well, you know, omega-3 supplementation not associated with an improvement in cardiovascular yeah. risk. You're like, wow, this is like, seems so conflicting. Um, but so it I might think not be if you actually read the Celsius, right? Like it, it, if you're deficient, be. then you're probably like something's going wrong. Yes. But if it's like, but if it's you're sufficient, adding any might not be enhancement. Yes, right? and so it's kind of difficult for Joe Blogs on the street to know whether they're deficient or not. Right. Um, and so that's why, like, I guess when you're thinking about what you supplement with, like personally. Um, if so long as it's not going to do you any harm, if there's a chance you might be deficient, then it might be worth supplementing. Right. Maybe that's a good way to start this conversation and talking about specific indications. Let's talk about clear deficiencies um, of omega-3 associated with different types of diseases. Well, I mean, cardiovascular risk is one that's very much talked about. Yeah. Um, deficiency in omega-3, generally, like, there seems to be a strong relationship there. Yeah, and I think let's you know, one of the things why we're so interested as a cognitive nootropics interested company, DHA. So DHA is 40, 50% of the, uh, of the, you know, the omega-3s found in the brain, right? It's like one of the most predominantly available or used uh, uh, fatty acid in the brain. So a lot of babies or in prenatal care, people up their omega-3 count because it's so important for, you know, the, the developing brain. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there is, a, you know, a similar correlation in terms of deficiency associated with like lesser neurological function. Mm -hmm. uh, what else, you know, do we see that's out there that's caused by deficiency of omega-3? Again, I mean, I'd need to double check this, yeah. but I believe there's joint health implications for being deficient yeah. in omega-3. Right. Um, and inflammation uh, associated with joint pain, right. say, um, associated with being deficient in omega-3. Right. And I think, you know, moving towards like improving outcomes or enhancement or, or, or better outcomes, I think anti-inflammatory effects are one of the bigger areas where omega-3s are showing good data on. Well, mainly because, as we mentioned like earlier on, that they're being kind of cleaved up into all of these active signaling molecules. Right. So they're not only kind of in the cell membranes, but they're kind of doing doing signaling as well. Right. How does that work? Like, you know, do these things get converted into hormones or signaling? You know, can we unpack that a little bit? So on the very high level, the cell is activated by stress. So if something happens to the cell, mechanical trauma or some chemical signal comes in and that causes mobilization of the uh, phospholipids to be like cleaved by this enzyme called phospholipase A. So this enzyme breaks off your fatty acid and mm. then it then there's a series of other like enzymatic reactions that convert, can convert um, the fatty acid into a number of different signaling molecules. There's a big family of them, prostaglandins, leukotrienes, resolvins, protectins. Like there's quite a long list of different bioactive things that can be formed by omega-3 fatty acids. Right. And I think one thing that is interesting is that the different ratios of omega-6s and omega-3s then is implicated in like how these things mm -hmm. are, are, are used as signaling molecules. So I believe that the, like, the cleavage of them from the phospholipid is kind of like indiscriminate, but then once they're released, they kind of funnel off down different pathways that are actually kind of like opposite from exactly. from one another. So I think that's why it's like interesting. Like, okay, if you just have like 15 to 1 ratio of omega-6s and omega-3s now, and like how your cell again would react to a stressor, mm. 
you know, when we're Paleolithic Stone Age people versus now, given the different ratios, like different. They, we have, you have different downstream effects. It's one of those things that if there is just a macro shift given eating patterns, it, it just seems to be a big open variable, right? Like anytime there's like a big lifestyle shift and there's such a big difference in ratio, I, it, like just as like a researcher, as a scientist, it just seems like, okay, there's probably some interesting questions to be answered. But then here. equally, how are you going to go back and um, get like biological samples? I mean, I wonder whether um, like preserved human samples from two, three hundred <laughs> years ago would be, would, whether you'd be able to measure like this sort of thing. Right. Or, get an idea, or you need like, to find like a frozen arm of someone at yeah. Everest. That was like, you know, buried up there 200 years ago. Maybe like that's a you know cold enough sample. Exactly. So we talked about DHA a little bit as one of the dominant fatty acids in the brain. But of course there's, you know, as we get more and more specific here, there's different types of omega-3s. We haven't talked too much yet about EPA or ALA and to be specific, alpha-linoic acid. Yes. Um, do you want to you know, talk about talk about that. Add color to, to those different, uh, more more lesser discussed so omega threes. DHA and EPA are, tend to be found in like animal food uh, from dietary like animal sources, as whereas mostly AL, like seafood, seafood especially, especially. Yeah. Um, and ALA and alpha linoic acid that is mainly from plants like yeah. flaxseed things like yeah. that. But what's kind of interesting is that. ALA, alpha linoic acid, can be converted into EPA and DHA inside the body, as whereas ALA, it's an essential uh, fatty acid. And essential so, doesn't just mean like it's important, it means that it has to be consumed. Yes, you cannot make it inside the body. So you can make DHA and EPA from, from ALA, ALA, which is cool. So there's actually two essential fatty acids. So you have the omega-3 essential, which is alpha. A linoic acid and there's also a thing called just linoic acid which happens to be the essential fatty acid for omega-6s just to confuse us yeah which is super interesting so you can also just eat linoic acid and that will form the omega-6 fatty acids the different omega-6 fatty acids and the sources for linoic acid uh, tend to be from things like safflower uh, salicornia oil primrose oil uh, which is, uh, you know, I, I, it's not an obvious reason why, you know, certain flowers, to me at least, have linoic and I guess, you know, things like what flax have yeah. alpha linoic. And I think we've been particularly precise with ALA because there's also a, a, a common supplement called alpha lipoic acid, which is different, again, from alpha linoic acid. Can you talk a little bit of why alpha-lipoic acid is something of interest? So we're interested in alpha-lipoic acid because it's a very potent antioxidant. Yeah. Uh, and there's some emerging clinical research about it being used to uh, improve the oxidative status of the body. And so that's kind of interesting when you're thinking about metabolic health, where there can be a lot of oxidative stress. So yeah. it's it's not the same. Unfortunately, it's a little bit like MCTs and MCTs when we talk about monocarboxylate transporter and medium chain triglycerides when we talking about ketones yeah. this is another thing where two very very closely related things have the same abbreviations so you have to right. be really really careful that when, when you look on a label or when you read it in a blog post which one you're actually reading about yeah. so when we talk about an antioxidant we're talking about alpha lipoic acid and when we talk about an essential fatty omega-3 fatty acid we're talking about alpha linoic acid yes just to be really one clear. one syllable difference but a world of difference there um 
And then I think antioxidant, I think actually is actually a nice segue into things that we should be thoughtful of when we look at omega-3s. So big problem or a thing to be concerned about is the oxidation or the rancidity of omega-3 oils because omega-3s with their unsaturated bonds are, are especially prone to react with oxygen and turn rancid. Yeah. Um, and typically what that means that you know they react with oxygen and forms things like well, like peroxide, peroxide and yeah. things that like just are not good for you. Um, and you know, some of the odors or smelliness from fish oils or yeah. like bad fish oils are because they've gone rancid. So that's, I think that's why it's actually interesting with like really good, uh, omega three products like Kato three It's usually paired with an antioxidant. So it mitigates some of the rancidity, uh, functions when you have oxygen going in, you know, in, when you're producing uh, a supplement, um, but yeah, I mean, can you talk about like why would peroxide be bad? Like why is even peroxide bad? So you end up, or if you look at their chemistry structure, you end up with this like oxide, superoxide radical yeah. and it just, it can cause damage to DNA. It can cause damage to various other processes. Ah, so it's like a free stuff. radical. So yeah. when people talk free radical, it's like peroxide. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's it means where it has, it has a lot of charge. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it can, that means it's kind of reactive. Yeah. And it just causes havoc. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the free radicals, like what does that even mean, right? Like it means... Free you... radical would be different to a peroxidized lipid. Though, okay. Because a free radical would be free. Okay. Like so like, like a proton or electron floating around. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to tied to a bigger molecule. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But the end effect is that there's basically a charge molecule that's like sucking or breaking things off from things that they shouldn't be, right? Yeah. Like you're mutating DNA yeah. or mutating RNA. Yeah, and sometimes if that damage can't be repaired, that's what leads to long-term damage in cellular function. And maybe cancer, right? Maybe. Well, <laughs> if you stretch all the way there. We're going a few steps, a few steps along the pathway. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think, what is there anything else that I think would be helpful to demystify a little bit about omega-3s? Omega I mean, I think we went pretty full stack going from definitions of fats down to different categories of fats down to you know omega-3 versus omega-6. I think in terms of like just broad chemistry we're kind of good I think it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about we did we did talk a little bit about um, correlational like indications for using omega-3s yeah. but I mean we haven't yet talked about the like maybe disappointing evidence around like supplementation let's just say like actually topping people up um, and what it's good for what it has been shown to work for and what it hasn't been shown to work for. Yeah let's so. do that I mean I think that's yeah, let's let's absolutely do. It. I think that's one of the things that I think more people should be talking about, right? What is it good for, and like what is it not good for, right? Yeah, like so, let's let's not hype up everything. Like so, what is so, it not good for? So we talked about um, the correlations between like cardiovascular disease and like omega three deficiency. Right. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like suppl supplementing with omega threes actually um, mitigates the risk. And I don't know whether that's because they studied in a population that wasn't otherwise deficient. Or like what other were the kind of like factors? Right. You want to talk about the exact studies? I, I believe you're referring to a meta-analysis published, published. I think it was like, in Nature like this, or this, Science this, month. this week. Yeah, and right. they used like thousands of like seven, 70, eight thousand. Seventy-seven thousand. Seventy-seven thousand. I knew it had a seven in the front. Like twelve it. studies. Yeah, many, yeah. many studies, many patients. Yeah. And they could not draw out um, um, a beneficial effect of supplementing with omega threes on cardiovascular. For cardiovascular disease. and for yeah. I believe also uh, overall mortality. Yeah. But I think some of the limitations are that the supplementation was under a gram, and some of the data suggests that people expect that you should expect it. Uh, supplement to two to four grams, so that could be an interesting mm. thing for further research. Um, 
as well. But I think it is like I think helpful to temper. You know, that I think, yeah, I, you, I think you might not improve with supplementation, but if you're definitely low, you're probably probably going to improve. Yeah, it's likewise with one thing that's actually relatively well validated is like mood and cognitive decline, which is great because we we believe that K is like a long term investment in your brain health, right. and so um, there's you know especially with people who have already got like some sort of like um, mood disorder, supplementing with omega threes has on several occasions been shown to work there. So um, I so think that's a positive side. There's a positive side. Yeah. yeah. So it improves mood in with people with mood disorders. Yeah, and I think it. I think to, and I think I guess to also talk about like a negative or just a null effect. It seemed like, you know, the results on you know people with Alzheimer's like very very serious cognitive decline. There was not a, a significant effect there. No. So but- it seems like you know, if you're on the you know on a decline but not quite you know to the serious state of having full blown Alzheimer's. Um, you know, omega threes might be helpful, but yeah. if it, you know, we're not expecting to rescue, you know, no, it's not going to treat. It's not like a drug. It's, it's not, not going like to treat someone that you know a rescue function with someone with like full blown Alzheimer's. Yes, I think um, as with like all all things supplementy, consider whether it's if, if there's any chance of doing harm. In which case, in the case of omega threes, I think there's very 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 minimal chance it's going to do you any harm. I mean, and so, it's like a food. Yeah. So and so on the balance of probabilities, could it do you good? Yes, therefore, and are you likely to be deficient? Yes, so therefore, there's sound basis for supplementation, and actually, right. omega-3 is, like, pretty widely recommended by nutritionists and the scientific Yeah, how about on the sports science side? I mean, I think there's some interesting, if you, uh, you know, look at Wolick Finney's book, Art of Low-Carbohydrate Performance, there's interesting data around the anti-inflammatory recovery benefits of omega-3s. Can you, can you expound on that? Uh, I can do my best to expand a little and I'll keep it on like a relatively high level. I think the challenge comes in there because people that they're working with are on a ketogenic diet. And so if they're eating a lot of red meat, then they might actually skew their um, omega-3, omega-6 ratio in a way that's damaging. So I think that... um, in their like kind of blogs and articles, Verlick and Vinny are emphasizing the importance of omega threes to address a natural like overcorrection towards the omega sixes that may occur as a result yeah. of a diet. So I think their point, um, without trying to make it like overly subtle, is if you're on a ketogenic diet, watch out and make sure that you maintain a relatively balanced ratio of omega threes to omega sixes, right. and that will help you with inflammation and recovery. Right. Because broadly speaking, people on the ketogenic diet have uh, less inflammation because they've got lower blood glucose and lower mm. dietary carbohydrate yeah. and carbohydrate is I also think that like omega threes themselves are associated with lower CRP. Yes, yeah. Which are which is an anti inflammatory marker. So that's interesting that like it, it could be helpful for a ketogenic diet in terms of balancing the ratios of omega sixes and omega threes. But also directly, there seems to be good emerging data around its effects on just lowering anti uh, or inflammatory biomarkers itself. Yeah, I mean, I think as you said earlier on, it's like an area of like active inquiry, and there's like studies of different sizes being run on like different supplements. Different. There's quite just quite a lot of things that can be kind of fiddled around with, like dose ratio of DHA to EPA, like many things that can change. Like so, I think it's like kind of complicated trying to wade through the literature. Too much of it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know. I think that seems to cover like a lot of broad base. I mean, I think it would be helpful just to discuss a little bit of the high level of, of why Kato 3 is Kato 3. Um, and I think, um, 
and, and I think it's worth demystifying some of our product thinking process as we develop the stack and, and, and directions and thinking of, of how we think to evolve it, given the new research and new data and the new availabilities of interesting compounds out there. Um, I mean, I think the initial instinct around Cato 3 was that, uh, especially as a nootropics cognitive focus company, we wanted to really ramp up the ratio of DHA to EPA, right? Again, DHA associated with cognitive uh, performance associated with um, being the primary phospholipid bilator substrate of, of neurons. Um, and I think most omega-3 products out there, and just, and just in fishes in general, just in seafood, tends to be heavily skewed towards EPA. So could we come up with a very purified DHA form where we really ramp up DHA was one of the initial entry points into thinking about an omega-3 product design for cognitive performance. Mm-hmm. Then what I really like about KD3 yeah. is the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin D and vitamin K. Yeah. makes it a really like complete stack. And we talked a little bit about deficiencies in the diet and deficiencies as resulting as a, um, uh, occurring as a result of lifestyle. And vitamin D, certainly, because we uh, actually can synthesize it ourselves when we're exposed to the sun. Right. But most of us now work indoors, so we're... And, we don't get as much sun exposure. So actually many, many, many people are deficient in vitamin D. Um, And actually the recommended, um, the RDA for supplementation is on the low side as well. So pretty much anyone can get benefit from supplementing with vitamin D and you're going to take up more vitamin D if you take it with fat because it's a fat-soluble vitamin. So it pairs really nicely with omega-3s. Right. And I think if you're looking at vitamin Ds, make sure you're getting vitamin D3, not vitamin D2 because it's a lot more bioavailable in the D3 form. So if you're looking at labels and, and getting the right type of bioavailable form of D, make sure it's a D3. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about K as well? Vitamin K is also like a, I believe it's either a cofactor or it contributes directly to sphingolipid formation. And sphingolipids are another lipid component of like the neurons and brain cells. So yeah. also important for maintaining brain function. Yeah, and also it, I think there's emerging literature around you know the synergies between again fat soluble and then also co- you know working while you know supplementing vitamin D. So like yeah, you got the K, D, and omega three. So that's K, A, D, O three. So how about A? Um, antioxidant is kind of the way we think about the A part of Kato three. Uh, the current antioxidant that we're in in Kato three is astaxanthin. Um, which is typically found in krill oils. It actually gives what Kato three that red color actually. Oh. Um, so a lot of uh, you know, so a lot of you know when 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 the shrimp are like kind of pinkish, they're eating a lot of like phytonutrients and they're synthesizing astaxanthin. Um, but I think you know, aside from just talking about specifically astaxanthin, I mean, I think, can we talk about, like, the purpose of why it's in there, an antioxidant? In terms of, like, the formulation of the stack, which you mentioned a little, or in terms of the body? Well, both. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, we talked about, I'll talk about the formation of the stack, and then you can talk about the the, the use cases in the body then. So, again, I think from the rancidity perspective and oxidation perspective, having an antioxidant stacked within uh, omega-3 makes a lot of sense to mitigate any oxidative damage. So actually, if you look at the manufacturing process of omega-3 products, the ones that do it right make sure it's vacuum-sealed in an oxygen-less uh, environment. Again, if you have a lot of oxygen, oxygen is a very reactive compound. It starts you know, oxidizing omega-3s as it pops out. So if you do it in a very vacuum-safe environment and you put uh, antioxidants you know, as part of that process or part of that stack, you really mitigate 
the fact of rancidity. It's really cool that antioxidants can work in like in that kind of outside of the body kind of way as an antioxidant as well as inside of the yeah. body. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But then inside of the body it's like a very similar process. You've got like oxygen, free radicals right. and also peroxidized lipids right. that want to kind of cause damage to the cells yeah. and so if you've got an antioxidant they can like scavenge those and have a protective effect yeah and i think that's actually probably you know opens up a new can of worms but i think that there's a lot of discussion on antioxidants probably like do they there's so many different types do they work are they going to the right spot are they bioavailable we should do another podcast about that yeah i mean but i think it's worth like at least covering a high level like um, so one thing that really interests yeah. me as an athlete is people were very interested in antioxidants for recovery from exercise because right. exer exercise, exercise causes oxidative stress. That's where the right. D was coming from. So if you took antioxidants, you could blunt some of that oxidative stress right. on the body. However, some people have proposed and like some evidence suggests that if you blunt the um, stress on the body, then you get less adaptation and less benefit from the training. So there was a period of time where antioxidants were really, really in vogue for exercise science, and now there's a bit more of a question mark there. Right. So some, some oxidative stress is helpful. Right, and I think that's like for like a lot of discussion before, like periodizing stress, periodizing training, periodizing nutrition is mm -hmm. interesting. Or yeah. again, that's probably another topic to talk about. Yeah. How do we, again, I think as, as we get more and more nuanced in the field of human performance and human physiology, right? Like I don't, there, I, I think we've, at least for me, I can speak for myself, I, I, there's no one size fits all like master plan for every single human, like for, for that applies to all humans. No, you're certainly right. But I do think, um, like I feel particularly bullish around like omega-3 and vitamin D supplementation, partic particularly vitamin D, yeah. that in like modern society, like mo most people will benefit from um, supplementing. If we use like the clothes analogy that I like to use sometimes, it's like a hat that will fit like more people as yeah. opposed to like a sweater that won't fit like half the people. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think there are some things where, um, given given our lifestyles it's advisable to supplement cool i mean i don't think i want to there's nothing more out of that i think it's a good way to close this conversation actually so hopefully uh you know for our listeners out there this demystifies uh what the hell even omega-3s are and it gives you a little bit of product thinking and the physiology and the biology behind you know what goes into Cato 3 um and it's really cool to see that it was one of our you know you know, stacks that we kind of launched quietly, but it's really grown to be one of our most popular sellers. So uh, it's something that we're, you know, actively R&Ding and looking on improving. And hopefully we'll have an update on that specific product, uh, hopefully to announce in, in the coming months. So uh, it's a cool product. I take, I, I like macrodose it personally myself. Something, you know, we recommend two K-3 pills, but oftentimes I eat, you know, five, six a day. And I know a lot of my friends, feel that, you know, macro dosing on Keto 3 is more beneficial. They, you know, feel it more. Um, so. Because acutely, actually, apparently acutely taking fish oil can, like, boost. Yeah. Boost yeah, apparently. I mean, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't know about it. Yeah, I don't know how I, I good the believe, data is. I didn't really believe it, but, like, yeah. this has been, you know. I don't know how good the data is, but it's, like, some people report, like, an acute yeah, boost it's, 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 it's happened more than once. So it's like, okay, again, plural of anecdote is not data. No. You know, but, but I think it's, like, as someone that, like, I still believe that, that there's some signal into anecdote. Yeah. There could be something interesting there. Maybe it's something that we actually uh, do research on. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. It's always fun to 
uh, talk science and, and dive deep into conversations around uh, on phys- with, with Brianna. It's always a fun conversation. Um, as always, uh, give us good ratings, recommend us, uh, follow us, subscribe. You know our channels, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and now, of course, uh, Spotify. Um, thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye. And as a special appreciation for our keen listeners listening all the way to the end, I want to give you a personal token of appreciation. We're going to give you 10% discount off of your Kato 3 order. Uh, so you can find the link in the show notes or go to go.humanhvmn.com slash Kato 3 podcast. That's go.human.com slash Kato 3 podcast, all lowercase, and you got 10% off on your next Kato 3 order. Uh, thanks so much, and hopefully you enjoy Kato 3, and uh, tune in next time. Thanks so much.